And welcome to everybody who's joining us on the live stream. We're glad that you're joining um, that way as well this morning. Um, I'm going to introduce the band this morning. Uh, we haven't done that in a little while. Uh, we have Brogan on the electric, Danny on acoustic, um, Sean on bass, and David on the drums, and I'm Lindsay. Um, would you stand with us this morning as we uh, begin worship by singing great things?
morning, everyone. How are you today? Yeah, I bet. <laughs> but it's nice and warm in here, and uh, he is worthy this morning. Amen. Um, uh, Dan asked me to come and give you an update about the warming shelter. Um, a couple months ago, right near the end of November, I had the opportunity to join the Warming Center staff over at St. Luke's. Um, Encompass, the company that I work for, um, which runs the Sea Center, where I'm also a peer recovery specialist, had offered uh, positions to staff internally because they were taking over and running uh, the Warming Center, which was really cool uh, because what it meant was that there was going to be staff on site 24-7 which is an advantage to the participants in the shelter because it wasn't just going to be a go and sleep overnight, get breakfast, and hit the road. Um, it's going to be 24-7, and it is 24-7. Um, uh, folks um, are now working with caseworkers on site um, to get things like IDs, um, uh, get Medicaid coverage, and, and get work, uh, resumes, uh, interviews, um, these types of things. And so I've been fortunate to work... Um, at the center, and I, I, I had no idea really what to expect. So I said, sure, I'll do whatever it is that you need me to do. So I ended up on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday working from midnight to 8 a.m. And um, I said, well, actually, how am I going to sleep? I, I didn't really know when I was going to sleep. So I said, well, it'll work itself out, I'm sure. So, and it has, and, and you know, most days I'm, I'm able to um, get done what I need to do as well as get some sleep as well. But a couple of quick stories. There's, there's uh, up to 29 people. We have beds for 29 at the shelter. And I just wanted to say thank you for your support. I know that uh, the church has uh, supported the shelter financially, but most importantly, I know that you all support the shelter through your prayers. And this week, members of the church will actually come and participate in a meal to help serve. Uh, most of the staff makes the majority of the meals, but there are volunteer uh, points in each week where uh, churches and other organizations bring uh, pieces and parts of meals. So that's really valuable because it gets you know, three, I don't have to tell moms and dads in the room, three meals a day, 24-7. Uh, I mean, it gets tiring after a while. So the break and the, and the additional support um, is really awesome. Um, and just a quick story. Uh, my first week uh, or so um, at the shelter, um, uh, one of the coworkers, and there's two of us who, who sit overnight. Um, and when I interviewed for the position, I said, oh, you know, no problem. I volunteered through Culpeper Baptist Church. And, yeah, you know, my dad and I, we'd go over there and we'd... we'd you know, get a cot and, and, and sleep, you know, through the night. It was usually no big deal. And she goes, oh, there'll be no sleeping. And I, and I go, what? Be, what do you mean there'll be no sleeping? <laughs> so, um, but the first week or so, um, well, my coworker uh, comes and he says, there's a guy in the bathroom and he's washing his feet in the sink. And I said, okay, well, let's go find out what's going on with the guy in the bathroom washing his feet in the sink. And um, I went in, and there was a young man in there, and his stuff was kind of spread everywhere. And it was his first night at the shelter. And he had been out, um, out you know, for uh, five or six years. And he was concerned about um, the odor that he was, uh, you know, um, letting off in the room with the rest of the guys. And he was trying to disinfect his shoes, his tennis shoes, which had in essence, were rotting off of his feet. And um, the shoes were, you know, just mush, basically. And um, I said, you know, can I get you something? You know, what do you need? And, 
and he didn't really say, he says, I'm just trying to get cleaned up, you know, I'm sorry, you know, he's apologizing. I said, don't worry about it. And I said, let me get you some socks. So I, I went and got him some socks. We have a bunch of socks. The, the, the shelter is extremely well supplied. I'm really impressed. It's like, when we need something, it's there. It's like, wow. Um, so I got him some socks, and then I looked at his shoes, and, and I said, what are you trying to do here? And he said, do you have any more Lysol? I'm all out of Lysol. I'm just trying to spray his shoes to get him to smell better. I said, let me go see if we've got some shoes. What size shoes do you wear? And he said, I wear nine and a half. And I went back, and I, I, I looked around for some shoes, and there was a pair of shoes, a beautiful pair of new Nikes. And I looked at the, the shoe and looked in the shoe, and it said nine and a half. And I said, oh, right. I get to give this guy a pair of shoes. And so I brought his shoes to him, his new shoes to him. And I said, here, you can, you can have these shoes. You don't have to wear those shoes. And, and I said, in fact, let me help you get rid of those shoes. Um, and we put them in a bag and tied them up. And, and I threw them away. And I said, I'm going to throw these shoes away because you don't have to wear these shoes anymore. And, and that's, really, that's really been indicative of what's happening over there. I mean, um, I now have uh, four or five folks each morning who get up at about five, get something to eat, and they go to work. Um, the, the Rochester Cable Company in town has been hiring folks. Uh, and, you know, life is changing uh, for folks, and it's really exciting, and it's really wonderful. And I know that the church supports, um, uh, and the churches in the area support the, the shelter, and um, it's really making a difference. But like I said, really more than anything, I can tell that there's people praying for the shelter. So keep praying because it's helping and lives are being changed. And that's a big deal because my life got changed through prayer. And I can see now how it is that I'm able to, um, you know, be of, be of service to these, to these folks who are, you know, most of them really trying really hard um, uh, to, to get, to, get uh, to a better place in their lives. On the flip side, there was a story the other day. There's, a, there's, one, there's one lady who comes up, uh, wakes up every morning, and she gets to the coffee pot just about five minutes too late. And there are a couple of guys who are just sitting there like hawks on that coffee pot, and they're just waiting for the coffee to drip out. And, and they don't wait. They, they go for that first um, cup of coffee, and she's like, I told you not to take that first cup of coffee like that because it just leaves water for the rest of us. And I said, is that really true? Is that really true? So I Googled, you know, taking the first cup of, of coffee out of a pot to see exactly what does happen to the coffee pot. And it turns out that the first 75% of the coffee pot is actually pretty good. Past that, it's just water. So she's, she's, she's right. And I said, hey, maybe, maybe either you get there earlier or you just get there later, you know, when the last pot is. But she's on, on, on point every morning. So um, we try to have a little levity in a situation where sometimes there isn't levity. Um, and we, we try to, um, you know, have a sense of humor about this. I said to someone the other day, I said, this is not prison. We're not here to, this is not a penal colony. We're not here to punish people and, and be like prison guards. So, you know, because I think sometimes that's what people are starting, you know, they, they come to expect. And, and so the good news is we get to show love, we get to show grace, and we get to show mercy. And that's what I'm really, really grateful for. So with that, I just want to say thank you again, and let's go to prayer. Father, we just thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love this morning. We thank you for this, this house, this, this house of worship. 
um, this church that you have built in this body of Christ um, assembled in the room. Father, I just pray uh, for anybody this morning who's in need, and, and I pray for hearts to be changed. I, I pray for um, that, that sense of service to come into hearts who might be wondering if they can help or what they can do to help or um, where they could be. And Father, I just pray that um, there would be open-mindedness, there would be willingness um, uh, to step into a place um, where um, love and grace and mercy is most needed. Father, help us to be shining examples of your son's love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you stand again with us as we sing in Christ alone?
Good morning. It is so good to get to be with all of you this morning. Those of you that don't know me, I am Hans Murdoch. I am the senior adult pastor here at Culpeper Baptist, and I'm also the chaplain out at the Culpeper Retirement Community. And so normally at this time, I'm out there doing service. And I encourage you, wander out there occasionally to join in with us with the service there and get to visit with some of the friends that you don't get to see that often. This morning, Pastor Dan is with Frances, his eldest daughter. They are getting to be with her this morning at church as she's being recognized as a deacon. So they're excited about getting to be a part of that, and we're excited that he's getting to be there for that this morning. So I'm going to get to tell the story, one of Jesus' stories that all of us have heard and know really well, I get to talk about the Good Samaritan this morning. As we continue in our series of Jesus for Everyone, stretching ourselves, remembering that he's not just for one particular group of people, not just for a chosen set, not just for the church crowd, but Jesus is for everyone. So this morning we're going to take a look in the scriptures in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10 we're going to start off, I'm going to move this cable before I break my neck up here. I almost did that earlier. That cable, I tell you, they can, you don't see them out there, but you can sure feel them whenever you step onto it or get caught by it. Luke chapter 10 starting off with verse 30, it says this, in reply, Jesus said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. When he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, Look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, go and do likewise. David Brooks uh, has a new book out that's causing quite a stir. The name of the book is How to Know a Person. There's a quote that I want to read to you from the book, and it says, There's one skill that lies at the heart of any healthy person, family, school, community organization, or society. The ability to see someone else deeply and make them feel seen. To accurately know another person. To let them feel valued, heard, and understood. 
sounds kind of like what Jesus did and what he has called the church and his people to do over time, right? In this series, we're sharing stories from Luke's gospel that show that Jesus is for everyone. And remember, while we might always have understood that in our lives, it was a radical thought for the people in Jesus' day that the God of the universe, think about that, let that set in, the God of the universe. I mean, they know the story of creation, that he created all. And so it was a radical idea that this God of the universe knew them, loved them, and had come to them. We live in that same culture today, don't we? We know that, but living that, believing that, our culture, that's just hard sometimes, isn't it? To know that the big, huge God who created it all loves us as individuals, cares for us as families. And so sometimes that's hard. And Jesus tells this story that has become one of the most common, best-known stories. It's a story that folks hearing it would have identified with very easily in the day. So he tells a story of the road, the highway, where it's dangerous, where they were accustomed to either knowing somebody or having heard the story of somebody who had come in contact with the bandits on their travels. So it was safer to travel in larger groups to avoid those kinds of ambushes. And so Jesus tells this story of a man who's ambushed on the road as he traveled. He's left naked with no money and left for dead. And so they had a good picture of that in their heads. They knew what that could look like and how easily it could happen. And so He was a victim of something that was very commonly talked about in their circles. And we get this far in the story and we think, okay, Jesus, folks that day probably thought, well, now he's going to give us a rule. He's going to give us a law. He's going to say, here is how we put order to the roads that are so dangerous. Here is what we do in order to keep this from happening and make the highway safer. And we need to, you know, punish those a little more so that we deter that kind of activity. And so, you know, they would have been thinking this is what's coming. And we like to think, yeah, rules, regulations, something that we can follow along with. That's not exactly where Jesus goes. Jesus focuses on the so-called respectable people, the law-abiding folks. And he tells us they have a vicious attitude of unconcern toward the victim. Just like we had some awkwardness with loving our enemies last week, we have some more awkwardness this week. Do we have to get involved in everything? To make this a bit more uncomfortable for us, this whole story starts with a question. The question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus puts in this story some of those folks that, well, 
they have it all together. If anybody at all has eternal life, it must be them, right? He puts in a priest and a Levite. We would expect the priest and the Levite to be able to assess the situation in godly fashion and move forward doing what would be considered right. And so we see he puts in this story people who should already have eternal life and then he changes things. And so as they go and they meet this man on the highway that is in need, they come by, they look at him, they see him, they see he's in need, they see he's wounded, they see that's more work than I want to get into. And they go on by. Now, before we condemn them, remember now, the priest and the Levite understand that this man who's wounded, who's bleeding, who could possibly be dead, is unclean. And if they go over to him and they touch him, then they themselves become unclean. You know, they're busy folks. They've got other people to attend to. They've got other things to do. And so if I go over there and I attend to this fellow in need and I make myself unclean, then I'm going to have to go through this days-long ritual to be made clean before I can get back to the regular schedule. And so they just sort of bypass that. I've got more important things to do, so to speak, right? And so that's who Jesus puts out there as the lead off in this story, the priest and the Levite, and they pass by. And so as Jesus is telling this story, the crowd that has gathered around him, if there happen to be any priests or Pharisees or any of the religious right in there, they're pretty upset about this. But most of the rest of the crowd is looking like, yep, that sounds just about right. They would just leave us out there. We common folks, they're always putting us down. They're always talking about how bad we are, how filthy we are, how sinful our nature is. And so the crowd is looking and they're thinking, this is a pretty good story. What else is he going to come up with? And so in the midst of all of this story and the presentation now of the two that have passed, it's a story of three, and typically that third one is going to be the hero, and he's talked about the religious right. So they're probably thinking, you know, he's going to come up now with one of us good Jewish commoners. We're going to come out as the hero. We're going to come out and do the right thing. And so Jesus goes on with the story, and he tells them that the priest passes by, the Levite passes by, and they're hanging, waiting to hear that somebody just like them comes along and does the right thing, and that's how you get eternal life. And he says, but a Samaritan. But a Samaritan. And the entire congregation, everybody listening, the entire crew, their faces suddenly would have changed. But a Samaritan. Remember, this all started with what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so here is Jesus shocking his hearers, saying he is for everyone. He's including a Samaritan.
in the story. Now, in that day, the Samaritans and the Jews avoided one another at all cost. If they could, they hated one another. And so, to include this Samaritan in the story really throws a kink into what the folks are thinking and looking for. And he, so he looked on the man with compassion. The Samaritan looks on the victim with com compassion, Jesus says, and he provides first aid. He took the man to an inn and he cared for him. He interrupted his journey. However important it was, whatever he had going on, he stopped here and he took care of this unclean man that was on the side of the road. The next day he resumes his journey and he leaves the man at the inn and he tells the innkeeper he'll cover whatever cost is needed when he returns. And so he just takes care of the man at his own expense, his expense of time, his expense of being made unclean, his expense of finance, all of it. It's on him. And so in this story, Jesus answers two questions. The first question was, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And the second one was, who is my neighbor? The lawyer specifically goes at this because he wants to reveal Jesus as a heretic outside of God's design for the world. And Jesus falls right into the trap. And he proclaims that God's kingdom is for everyone, for the whole world, not just the Jew, not just for one group, not just for a chosen, but for everyone. And so he includes this Samaritan, and God's design from the beginning was for all. The question, who's my neighbor, does not go away, and it keeps popping up to all of us who are willing to live life in a way that does not isolate those people. Think of some of those folks at the heat shelter. Some of those folks would be sort of considered outside of our main circles. And sometimes we sort of avoid those folks just like the Jews avoided the Samaritans. Jesus says, uh, who is the neighbor? What do I do was the first question asked by the lawyer. And Jesus tells the story, then asked his own question. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Which of these three do you think? Now, he's made it fairly clear, right? But he puts the lawyer sort of in an awkward position because there's really only one answer here. Only one right answer. Which of the three do you think is the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the lawyer answers, the one who had mercy. The Samaritan is neighbor to the Jewish man because he acted mercifully. He did something based on compassion. And then Jesus, after the lawyer answers him back, he says, go and do likewise. To do likewise for the lawyer would presumably be to act with mercy towards a Samaritan and thus be a neighbor to the Samaritan. 
And the alternative would be to maintain his strict tribal boundaries, continue to shun the Samaritans, which would place the lawyer on the same side with the priest and the Levite. And so Jesus' story is a rather uncomfortable place to be because now that the lawyer has asked this question and Jesus has allowed him to answer the question off of Jesus' story, he sort of has set up his own fate of how he has to go and do likewise, which now that means it's going to put him at odds with some of the norm of what he has been doing. And isn't that the way our story is as well? Jesus said to him to go and do likewise, and to us, he says, to go and do likewise as well. Lawyer asked, who is my neighbor, and at what point does neighbor stop and stranger begin? Who exactly am I obligated to love? And Jesus sort of ignores that question, and instead he tells the story of an enemy. An enemy who through his merciful actions becomes a neighbor, even in the sight of someone who would normally say, no, that's a bad person. If a Samaritan may become a neighbor to a Jewish man, then anyone may be a neighbor. So it's not a question of where to draw a line, but rather of erasing that line entirely. One of the best ways to study Jesus' parables is to place yourself in the story. I wonder if for you and me, the priest and the Levite in the story here represent the organized, established church as we know it. And maybe they're simply tired. Maybe they're thinking about something else, or maybe they're afraid, or maybe they're discouraged and that they simply don't have enough time to save the lives of everyone who finds themselves dying on the side of the street. Yes, surely they and the church are indicted in this telling for they are all too often, just as we are, surely not coming close to meeting the ancient understanding that to be a person of faith is not only to love God, but to love our neighbor, whomever that may be. Even with this certain truth, however, cannot help but wonder if the Samaritan actually represents all the ways God is already at work in the world, showing mercy where it's needed most in unexpected places and using profoundly unexpected people. And so I wonder if you and I, who represent the church, could somehow get over thinking of it as all up to us and just start looking for the ways in which God is already working. If we could just look for where he's already at work, that wonderful idea that most of us or many of us heard for the first time when we went through the study experiencing God. I wonder if we just did that 
If we could catch up with where God is at work in the world and just join in, if we might be doing exactly what Jesus calls us to do and exactly in the spot that he really calls us to be, even or especially when the one we're catching up to is a Samaritan or a Muslim or a Mexican or a Republican or a Democrat or you fill in the blank. Wonder if then we might be given new energy and hope and purpose as we seek to live as we're called to live. Or more to the point, as we seek to love as we're called to love. Jesus is for everyone, and that always causes questions. What keeps us from living and loving as the Samaritan did? What might give us new energy or hope to follow closer to Jesus? What might it mean for us to simply catch up with where God is already at work? And how do we catch up with Him in this world? Is it through proximity, building relationships, building relationships not to coerce or to conquer, but as David Brooks says, to see someone else deeply and make them feel seen. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. And again, this all starts with the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We've been very happy to answer that question in our culture with doctrine, viewpoints, and church membership. I awkwardly tell us that the folks in Jesus' story who had all the right those that were supposedly the good upstanding church member, those that had the doctrine correct in the story, were not the ones who did likewise. So if the evidence of our salvation is our going and doing, then let's hear these words and let's follow Jesus' example. Jesus is for everyone, it's uncomfortable for us. It's challenging for us. But it's also where life is found. So he calls us to go and do likewise. But that leaves us with a choice. Do we go and do likewise and love our neighbor even though they may be our enemy? Or do we just keep trying to convince ourselves we've got it all right. Let's just keep on the path that we're on. Bypass the distractions. He's called us to go love our neighbor. Even when it means changing whatever is on our plan, that calendar, that whatever is up that we are thinking is most important. Jesus says the most important thing may be something totally unexpected. Are we willing to step over to the side and get dirty loving our neighbor? Closing questions this morning are, who do you most identify with in this story?
Who is it that you really, as you hear the story, as you read through the story, who is it that you can see yourself as in this story? And who could we partner with to show mercy that would shock the world around us? Who are the people, who are the organizations that we could partner with to show that kind of mercy and that kind of love? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you, O Lord, for the story of the Samaritan. Lord, as we tell the story, as we read the story, as we talk about the story, we all want to think of ourselves as the hero, as the Samaritan. But Lord, how often I think our hearts are not really in that spot. And we ask, O Lord, that you help us to love our neighbor even though it might be somebody we typically would consider an enemy. Help us to love our neighbor. Help us, O oh Lord, to go out and live life the way you've called us to live it. Loving you, loving those around us. Showing your mercy, showing your grace. Because you have loved us first. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's all stand together now and sing, Build My Life.
this morning. The flowers are here uh, placed by Dan and Emily in the memory of Pastor Dan's dad, Robert L. Carlton. This past week, uh, we had a couple of members pass. Uh, Jesse Searles passed this week, and the service will be at Warrington Baptist Church on Friday. And Dory Thurston also passed, and there will be a memorial service at a later time. Dr. Bob Roberts is going to be here February the 4th, one service that Sunday at 10 o'clock and dinner workshop in the afternoon. So sign up, come and be a part of that. It'll be really exciting as we're kicking off celebrating 250 years to have somebody like this come and give us some vision and some excitement for the community around us. I encourage you to come and be a part of that. This week, there will be a farewell reception for Amy Martin, who has been the director of the Child Development Center for 12 years now. Uh, and this Thursday from 3 o'clock to 5 o'clock in the IG space, uh, you're encouraged to just kind of come by and tell her how much you appreciate all those years of service and just get to spend a little time with her. And Miss Janine has an announcement this morning as well. morning. I'd like to invite parents of young children, preschoolers, grade school children, even little, our little babies, um, to come and join with Pastor Dan, Maria, and I as we learn from you the best way that we can support you as a church in our community. So we have three of these sessions coming up. They're called Parent Focus Groups. And we have one this Saturday uh, down in the IG space from 9 to 10.15, and child care is provided. Then we have one the following Tuesday at 6 o'clock, and then one on February 10th. That's a Saturday also. But we'd really like to get to know you as parents and how we can help you grow faith in your family. So please see Maria or I if you're interested in attending so we can make sure we have enough food for you because we're going to provide a meal at the time. So um, please consider joining us. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Janine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, even though it's cold, we thank you for winter because we know the seasons change, oh Lord, and we can look forward to spring. Look forward to what you do in the seasons, changing things, and then at the same time, look forward to what you do in us, in our presence, changing things, making things fresh, making things bloom, making things new. Use us, O oh Lord, in the community where you've placed us for your glory and your honor, because you, O oh Lord, are worthy. Amen. Have a great day. Thank <laughs> you.